Welcome to Work of Fiction, the podcast that analyzes the fictional organizations you see in movies and TV. Today's episode, Santa's Workshop, Greenway Press, and Gimbals from Elf. Work of Fiction. my colleagues jane garza dr kim perkins we are members of nobel an organizational design firm that helps teams adopt new ways of working every month we like to take a break from helping real organizations change to discuss fictional leaders and organizations looking at what works what doesn't and then most importantly the simple tools that they and you our listeners can implement to make the workplace better it's the holidays so we wanted to take a look at one of the most famous workplaces in the world santa's workshop An elf orphan buddy grows up with elves in the North Pole, but when he discovers he's a human, he goes to New York City in search of his real dad. If you haven't seen it, spoilers ahead, this movie is very adorable, so even if you hear us talk about it, you'll probably still enjoy it. So get into the holiday spirit with us. Kicking things off, since it's the holidays, it's the most, it's the happiest time of the year. We wanted to talk about this because all of the organizations are either going through a declining market or they are about to if they don't realize it yet. Santa has had to equip his sleigh with a jet engine to compromise for declining Christmas spirit, which is what runs the sleigh. Greenway Press is down eight. No real uh, metric on that. It's just eight. The numbers are bad. (laughs) Minus eight. And Gimbals may not necessarily realize it, but they are going to be facing increasing competition from online retailers. With that said, what is the right way for leaders to deal with impending change especially if it's not the necessarily good kind Mm. well what elf teaches us is back to basics i feel like they find their holiday spirit and start up a new company based on a true story about buddy and become a bestseller as a result oh yeah i guess i guess they do (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Going back to your roots, but understanding what it is you're trying to accomplish, who you are, and then that will allow you to write a new piece of the narrative. How do you talk to people about change? Like, what's the best way to say, hey, like the way we've been doing things hasn't been working? How do you get your employees on board? Well, for one, to your point, the metric of we're down eight doesn't really paint a picture. And so I think being able to paint a bit of a picture of like, where are we at? Where are we trying to go? Why are we trying to get there? That's bigger than just like, the numbers are bad. (laughs) So get in line. Make it better. Exactly. um, People are really tend to default to the abstract like that because for leaders, um, the abstract may feel real. But for the people, it's hard for leaders to remember that to the people around them, they need to be able to see it, feel it, have it feel more concrete before it's motivating. And so there's actually been a lot of research showing about um, producing persuasion and charisma among leaders and that taking it from something like we are down eight points to what those the impact of that will be. And that means that we might have to let a couple people go. Don't use that lightly, by the way. Mm-hmm. or and that need what what the outcome making it something that people can get their minds around that is much more concrete tends to enhance your persuasive ability dramatically 
What is the right approach if you're a leader who's facing some bad news, right? Like you're going through this negative change. Should you be rah-rah about it and just be like, no team, we're get we're getting through it. It's going to be great. Should mm -hmm. you should you be, you know, dramatic and upset like the Mr. Greenway of Greenway Press where he's he's pounding on the table and demanding results? Like what's the best way to motivate people when you know you're going through a difficult spot? Well, you'd, um, making extra drama out of it is probably not a good idea because, first of all, you only get so many times to play wolf before they forget to cry wolf, rather, before people don't believe you anymore. Sure. But in general, being, um, I would call it realistic optimism. So be, be clear about the challenges facing us and um, make them concrete, but also express confidence in everybody's ability to get through this if we pull together. And have a way forward if you have one. If you need people to, to help contribute to a way forward, that's another thing too. But um, you know, hopefully there will be a way that you can um, either get their ideas in on it if, or that you can empower them to figure out how to carry it out. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would add um, a few months down the road from there, remember to circle back on that story. Like you got everyone together, you mm -hmm. painted this picture of like, here's where we're at, here's the problem, here's how we're going to get through it. And don't forget to pick up that thread a few months later so that people right. aren't wondering like did oh, we do it we're fine now yeah. so you forgot about us right. oh right <laughs> i didn't realize when i suggested this movie but there's actually a lot about work and identity both papa elf and walter hobbs who are buddy's dads they are total workaholics Papa Elf actually never had a chance to, to settle down because he was so committed to the elf, the toy factory. So Buddy stayed with a, an older elf who had always wanted a child, but had been so committed to building toys, he, he well, had forgotten to, to settle down. Uh, that, you know, it was, it was too late and he, he got to adopt Buddy essentially later in life. Walter, on the other hand, is really totally involved in his work. So how does your work contribute towards a sense of, of who you are and to what extent is that healthy? It's such a great question for our times where people are changing jobs and um, changing industries so much more than they used to. And we have high expectations for our work as being something that kind of completes us the way a relationship does, that we have this expectation that our work should be an expression of the value of our life here on earth. You yeah. know, which is awful lot to expect out of a rapidly changing economy and a lot of things that happen beyond your control. And yet it's been it's been traditional. You know, a lot of us have names. Our last names are come come from the things that our ancestors did for work. And so it's kind of traditional for work and identity to be feel kind of merged for people. And yet we're living in a, in a time when um, if my work was my last name, I would have changed it 10 times, hmm. you know. You should definitely try that on your next resume. I feel like future <laughs> employers will really appreciate the uh, mysterious trail <laughs> you've left behind. But, but, you know, I think in this case, that's also a stand-in for who, when a person is going through a struggle for their own identity of who they want to be, you know. And so I think it's really interesting what you pointed out, that there's no chance of not being a workaholic because that's also kind of the way that that's built into the the expectation here and i think it's that way for men especially well and if you're ambitious you're going to be working really hard at something so which one is it going to be buddy actually really struggles with this right he is 
too big for the toy factory. Mm. He he's not able to keep up with the production rate of the of the other elves. Why don't you just say it? I'm the worst toy maker in the world. I'm a cotton-headed ninny muggins. So I would ask, what do you do when you're a cotton-headed ninny muggins? <laughs> <laughs> don't call him that. When, when you're not when you're not fit for the role, right? What what should you do? Um, admitting it is hard, but that's actually a first step, right? Noticing that there's a discrepancy, and then it becomes really about the will to disclose that, to to close that gap. Um, the will and the ability, which are things that you know you re reside with you more than necessarily with the other people. I mean, the other people may say, "We've had enough of this. We don't want you to do this anymore." But ideally you would be and I think that people are very sensitive to places where there's a gap between their identity and either the culture of the company or the nature of the work or you know I sometimes I know a lot of people who have physical jobs and at a certain point in their career they just can't really do it the way they used to and so being sensitive but not oversensitive to what this is and thinking about other ways that you might distill that skill set into other roles. There's always other roles. People always think, but I don't know how to do anything else. And that's not really true. There's yeah. always more things to be done. Yeah, I think people sometimes forget that leaving is a strategy of its own. Like deciding when it's time for you to leave is a decision and a strategy that you can make based on what you would like to get out of work too. But you are making me feel like Santa's Workshop has a diversity problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's true they're not really making a lot of accommodations here <laughs> are they they're not <laughs> although they're not being jerks about it you know yeah. one thing i noticed that it like in contrast to say some of the later managers the toy workshop manager is being pretty cool about well we're trying to make this all work and we're gonna give you you know but, but we have to make up the for lack of production in some other way boom boom i hate to do this to you but you think you can help me pick up the slack on those etch sketches no problem i appreciate it buddy is killing me Ernie got Lum Lum and Choo Choo pulling doubles. Yeah. Sometimes I think about it as like the person's personal professional trajectory not matching the company's trajectory. So like they don't have yes. a place for him right now. But if we're talking about Santa's Workshop like a company, maybe down the road there is a place for a buddy type employee down the road. It's just not today. And the things that Buddy can provide today aren't the things that they need. Well, yeah, especially because he's great at he can go around and, and he's certainly good at pumping up Christmas spirit. Mm -hmm. So if you needed, you could have him out there, right. you know, extending your energy source. Well, he also changed the batteries on the smoke detector. That's he's, right. He's not small. To, he's going to have to do that. <laughs> That's in, right. In another three to six months. <laughs> That's job security right there. <laughs> Going back to your point, Kim, about realizing that, hey, maybe this isn't a good fit for you. We talk a lot about self-awareness being the basis of leadership. And I would argue that Buddy is maybe not actually the most self-aware character. Um, he's well into his 30s before he realizes he is not actually an elf. And he only learns it because he overhears other elves mentioning that that he's he's not an elf so what's the what's the right balance between self-awareness and self-delusion as a leader to be effective at your work oh we could do a whole podcast just on that question well let's make it like it's making happen <laughs> make it so <laughs> i got time so you know what we with self-awareness is kind of 
slippery. We have, we all have some, and nobody has perfect self awareness. So you, when you, when we're thinking about self awareness, we're thinking about what you know about yourself from the inside that nobody else knows. And at the same time, we're also thinking about how you are received in things that are easier for other people to see than for you to mm. see. So it's a combination of those two factors, um, and and that can be really hard because we have so many desires in the situation and all of us just in order to grow up have learned to do certain things and not to do certain things because of the impact they have on others so it's hard to know where to really draw the line between everybody else needs me to I don't know um not wear diapers anymore right (laughs) (laughs) and um, Jane I thought you said you wouldn't tell her that (laughs) conversation I thought that was confidential <laughs> wow well, this is an awesome time and all the things that maybe you don't have to change about yourself or you change about your diapers <laughs> so you know there may be room for you here and so that's also constant that's also constantly at play is we're always looking around to see what we actually do need to adapt and and, and will people tolerate us doing things the way that we would prefer to do them and to to what extent and and so there's a little bit of self-deception is sometimes useful for um, good outcomes because if we really knew how hard a lot of the things that we want to do would be we would definitely not want to do them and the world would be the worst for that but too much and pretty soon you're just a elephant um, running around breaking things Bull in a china shop. Bull in a china shop. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, I could see the china shop, but I couldn't quite get there. In Elf, we see culture at three different companies. For for the, the purposes, I'm going to call Santa's Workshop a, a company. Mm-hmm. So Santa's Workshop has Santa Claus, of course. Greenway Press is run by Mr. Greenway. And Gimbal's has the floor manager. How does the leadership of each of these leaders set the tone at their respective workplaces? Well, I've been thinking, you know, about the Gimbal's manager a lot because he has, is he's really change averse, shall we say. Have you seen the place? Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. It's a little too good. Corporate must have sent in a professional. I don't know why somebody's gunning for my job. But look, let's remain a team, okay? Because if I go, we all go. He doesn't want, he's worried about his job. He thinks there might be other competition. So basically everything that happens, he takes it really personally Mm -hmm. and weighs it against, is this something that is good for me or bad for me? And that that's really the the extent of his thinking about what's going on, which is a really shitty way to live and to manage. Yeah, Yeah, it's very um, self-preservation focused, which is like... so then you are de facto not being a leader because you're not thinking about the people around you. Right. And everything is a threat. Mm-hmm. So that's tiring and not true. Mm-hmm. And how does that, how is that reflected in the actual culture of gimbals from what we can see? Everybody seems to be really on edge. You know, they, you know, like, like, Hey, don't, you know, look busy at all times and, keep up you know the impressions that people have of you and you're going to get yelled at if you do if you slack off or if you wear the wrong thing and it's not really very psyched about this yeah sometimes i feel like that's called like the butts and seats culture mentality mm. where like you just have to be sitting at your desk and as long as you're sitting at your desk people assume that you're being productive but that doesn't actually lead to productivity as we know it's just um it's like the image of it not yeah. the reality of it exactly so look at all that extra work that um but he does that is goes unrewarded and not just unrewarded, but like 
there that it's taken as a threat to all that decoration you know that's a great way to demotivate your work workforce really quickly Mm -hmm. and that's really important in a place such as gimbals because it's a it's a fake santa's workshop right and it's filled with quote-unquote elves who are supposed to be you know cheery and you know Mm -hmm. tra-la-la and you know full of christmas spirit for the customer experience (laughs) and everybody is so not yeah and of course, Gimbals is now out of business. But, but I think what you're talking about there, Paula, is the misalignment of culture and strategy a bit, right? Like yeah. there, it's a very relationship-based, uh, customer-driven presentation that you want to put on if you really want to make it feel like Santa's workshop and elves, you know, doing magical Santa work. Um, but then the actual culture has this more like uh, protective, secretive, like I guess wolf pack mentality, where it's like very competitive and a bit um, intense to work. Yeah, out. yeah, and above all, safe, no magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then no magic. compare that to Greenway Press, right, which seems to be a small publisher. It is mostly Mr. Greenway, who is the owner, which I did not pick up on until I, like, literally was preparing for this podcast. I was like, oh, wait, I, Mr. Greenway is the character and the name of the, oh, I get it. <laughs> but, yeah, it seems to be a small publishing house. And I, I'm actually sort of surprised because uh, Mr. Greenway seems kind of like a jerk, um, Walter is taking after him, but in, they're antagonists. They're not on the same team. Um, but everybody else seems nice or maybe ineffectual, um, but all of his colleagues actually seem like kind individuals. So I think I think that's interesting. Like, how do you see the boss's attitude affecting that of his employees? Hmm. Yeah, that is a good question. I guess if I had to make a hypothesis, it might be because this is he's reacting to the the in the moment stressors that he's feeling, but maybe this is not at a a example of his like overtime behavior. Because I feel like normally when the boss is not a nice guy, usually other people act the same way. They replicate the behaviors that they see around them, especially in leadership. They replicate and also they attract people who Yeah. Because they don't have to be a nice guy here. Right. Right. I wonder if some of this is a symptom of Greenway not really being involved in the business. Because when there is a problem, which is admittedly uh, Walter Hobbs' fault, right? He he signed off on a faulty book, and that's partially why they're missing their numbers, et cetera, et cetera. The boss doesn't come in and say, all right, how are you going to turn this around? How are you going to make our numbers work? Instead, he just throws it at, back at him and is like, you better figure out a way to make this work, and you're presenting to me on Christmas, and then he disappears. <laughs> yeah, not a great tactic, honestly, because um, first of all, you know, you want to promote, you, you want to help develop people and promote ownership rather and not just scare the bejesus out of them which is, again, going to be a reason why people won't come to you with problems. Yeah. I think you want to give people a challenge, but it needs to be a reasonable challenge. Otherwise, if you set them up for failure, they're going to wonder, what am I doing all of this for? (laughs) Why do I feel this stressed? And it feels like being like, come up with a new book and present it to me on Christmas Day is a bit of setting someone up for failure. (laughs) Good point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, this happens over and over in movies when we're at work things. Ever since we've been doing this podcast, I've been thinking about how often people give ultimatums or Mm -hmm. make it very clear that that some bad thing will definitely happen if some good thing doesn't happen and how frequently in real the real world um 
that's usually not the case. Usually it's more gray areas and probabilities, mm-hmm. but drama. Well, firing is actually used as the threat in two instances in Elf. First, first is uh, the manager at Gimbal's saying, you know, somebody's out to get my job, but if I go, you all go. So pick your alliances wisely. And then the second instance is, like I just mentioned, when Buddy's dad is threatened with firing if he doesn't get the book in on time, right? Um, and he he eventually just decides to quit and, and walks off um, with an up yours, which is great. It's the right way to, fi- to get fired. <laughs> Um, asterisk here <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but but my point in this is uh, how have you guys seen firing as a threat played out in the real world is that something that we that we see a lot what effects does that have when you're constantly threatening someone's livelihood it's a great question um, I think that what it what I see is that people are worried about getting fired more than they're actually getting fired and that um, it's usually not an explicit threat. I, so, I, you know, and Jane weigh in here from the HR perspective, but usually you want to give people a fair number of chances and um, write-ups and probation and things like this before actual fire so that it's not blindsiding people. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the ideal way to do it. That doesn't often, that often doesn't happen. People will um, get frustrated over and over with someone and then it'll hit a boiling point and then they'll like want to let them go. Um, Or they'll walk out. (laughs) Yeah, or that person will walk out. Um, But the firing is a threat to your question. The motivation, um, that type of motivation will make someone act in a way that's like very risk averse and scared of every decision that they make, which is not what you want in people because it lowers their innovation, it lowers their confidence, and inevitably makes them perform worse. And as we've been saying, if they have problems, they will definitely not bring them to you. Mm -hmm. Right. Let's compare that then to Santa's workshop, which I actually think is one of the better managed, more positive uh, organizations that we've actually talked about on this show. You know, Santa's workshop has training programs, Santa holds an all-hands meeting at the mm. end of Christmas. Looking forward to next year. All right, all right. We've had another very successful year. So, after all that hard work, it's time to start preparations for next Christmas. So how do you think Santa's leadership actually impacts that that workplace and that constant, you know, cheer and excitement for, mm. you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure elves have a bad day every now and then. I don't know. I mean, they've got a lot of good things going for them. Like one, they have a very, they have a visionary leader, Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Come on. Charismatic visionary leader. Yeah, they've got that. They've got um, a lot of meaning and impact in their work, which keeps people going even through the hard days. Elves. <laughs> they're real, Elves going. They're they're um, highly trained, so they've been mm-hmm. apprenticing for a long time. Um, so it's and it seems like it's kind of a guild. So they take a lot of pride in their work, and it's just a really strong culture. Well, Pop Elf does point out that this is the best job to have as an elf compared to either being a cobbler at night or baking cookies in a tree. So <laughs> so this is, in the elf world, it's a real status position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Right. That's true. And yet they, they don't seem to be worried about being fired all the time. Right. They yeah. don't they aren't worried about losing status. They're really just focused on on doing the work well and having a really good time doing it. That's pretty awesome culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just mentioned there are training programs. Like we said, there's an all hands meeting. It does seem like there's some form of a performance review right like they are tracking they're they're, they're doing metrics I, I didn't see them do a retro that would be awesome <laughs> yeah what rituals do we think are important for companies what should they be doing uh, to make sure that people are feeling included motivated excited to come to work on a regular basis mm. well kim just mentioned one of our favorites which is a retrospective um, sometimes called a post-mortem or a hindsight or an after-action review. There's like a thousand different ways to do it. Um, but the general basic concept is at the end of a project or even in the middle, you take a minute to look back on what you've done so far and reflect as a team on what has worked well and what hasn't worked so well and what you would like to evolve or improve upon for the next go-around or the next phase of the project. And the reason we love it is because it really supports um, a collaborative format for learning together and evolving the way that you work together. Exactly. And it's like a muscle. So if you're having a tendency to blame people, even if it's like in your mind or, you know, complaining to your coworkers, then it gives you a, it, you start to develop a language for talking about what's really going on in a way that doesn't throw people under the bus. Why should I care about a ritual, right? Why can't I just mm -hmm. be like, oh, it's a mindset and I'll, I'll just make sure I adopt that mindset going forward. You know, from a psychological point of view, and um, it's there's, you know, we talk about people have traits and then they have states. So a state is like a transitory um, thing that uh, emotional state that happens as a result of being connected to other people. So, for example, I'm sitting here with you guys. This is a ritual we do with a podcast, and this affects our state where we because we it makes us so that we're sort of thinking together and we're tossing the ball to each other, and um. It, and it's also there's like a performative and spontaneous aspect and it puts us all kind of on the same page for this hour that we come together to talk to people. And that's kind of like a ritual. What a ritual does mm -hmm. is that it helps everybody be on the same page for a short period of time, which then helps them carry that out into the future. Yeah. Yeah. I would also just add that it like it for things like increasing psychological safety um, and increasing trust on teams, it creates those spaces so that you can build the muscle over and over again. So for example, one of our other favorite things that we teach teams to do is when you kick off a project doing a pre-mortem, which basically means like take a look at everything that might go wrong and then plan around it. And that ritual, if you have it as part of your agenda, it sets aside the time for people to bring up potential red flags rather than them having to risk that moment or like doing it on their own and worrying about um, retribution. What about having a code or some sort of vision mission statement because santa's workshop actually does have a really clear code right now before we learn how to build the latest in extreme graphic chipset processors let's recite the code of the elves shall we number one treat every day like christmas number two there's room for everyone on the nice list number three the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. What are the benefits of, of clearly stating right how you want your employees to behave and treat each other? Yeah. Uh, 
one benefit, I think codes of conduct or any values, anything like this for a community or a company work pretty well to solidify the culture that you want and help people understand what the expectations are of their behaviors and what might or might not be a fit for them too. Um, and I think it works well if it like lives. It doesn't work well if it's just a document that no one ever refers to and it just lives somewhere or it's like on the wall somewhere and yeah, never look at it again. Yeah, it works well if it's something that everybody kind of workshops and works through and it becomes part barely baked in through rituals, through onboarding, through um, there's all kinds of different ways to get that part of it. And if it's something that just a couple of leaders or, you know, one CEO comes up with is this is what we want to see around here. That's not going to work because people won't. What you need is for people to decide to work it into their behavior and to so that it, they're at a point like a fork in the road that then they think about that and they let that guide their next decision as opposed to something that you are told that other people want you to do and it's amorphous and it might be hard and you've seen it not done this way and get results. So it has to really be baked into the way you do and it has to, you have to bring it up all the time in order to make it work. If you were asked to consult for one of these organizations, whether that is Santa's Workshop, whether that is Greenway Press, or if that is Gimbal's, where would you go and what would you want to work on with them? I think I would choose Gimbal's because I feel like there's a lot of like opportunities for innovation and fun there. I just feel like that would be a really fun project to like help those people flourish a little bit. I feel like the, the people who work there want to be more engaged and excited and uh, it'd be fun to tap into that energy. What is one of the tools that you might try with them in the beginning? Something we like to do with our clients is called customer sensing, which is where we'll take a team together and have them think about what they're sensing in their external environment. So like, what are your stakeholders internally or externally uh, saying? What's changing? What's increasing or decreasing in importance? And then as a result of all of that, what would you change about what you do or provide? And I think that that would be a really fun thing to do at Gimbal's to adapt how they work together now. And that actually ties it really well back to the beginning in which we talked about what companies can do in a declining market, right? By using activities like customer sensing where you're identifying, okay, what are the changes that we're seeing in our customer? Not not a picture, right? Not a persona of who they are right now, but where they are going. You can actually prevent your company from falling into the doldrums. So Santa, it seems, was actually really up on this because, again, he's been doing this since the 60s. Um, but other publishers, uh, other companies, retail certainly have been struggling with this. Mm -hmm. And so it is really important to figure out how do we stay current and, and even a little bit of ahead of where our customer is going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why I would, I mean, I think Gimbal's would be a really fun gig and you could get really a lot done there that would improve a lot of people's lives. But I think I would work with a publisher because that, that that's a because it looks like they haven't really done that much as far as vision and for how they're going to deal with the rise of the internet and since this movie is set in 2004 three three okay so that seems like that's a time when a lot of publishers were really starting to 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 think about this so i think it would be really interesting to do vision and mission work with them and mm. think about um and, and really get the whole company involved, all the editors, thinking about what we really need to do to flourish in this next environment. And so I would lead, I would want to do like an embedded change initiative to 
get all heads together and we'll see what they know about this industry and what they know about their companies and what, what are the company's strengths and um, values that they want to double down on? What is it that they, they if they were going to not publish books, you know, rely on book revenue, what is the intrinsic value of the company that they can um, rely on to make something new and then figuring out how to do that? That sounds like really interesting work. And it's especially interesting because it feels like at least Walter's division is focused on children, mm-hmm. right? He writes children's books. Mm-hmm. And I think there is an opportunity there to think about what is my impact? What are the stories that I am telling to children, which is going to influence how they think and how they approach their futures? Okay. One more question. As Buddy the Elf would say, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Green. Lately, red. I kind of flop mm. back and forth between blue and red, and I've been in a real red mode lately. Well, that's very Christmassy. I'm going to go with green. Oh, <laughs> that's very Christmassy. Well. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, lo- I love, like, forest green, all the natural greens. I'm into. Mm. I, have, I have no favorites among greens. Mm. I love them all. All right, so with that, I want to thank all of our listeners for listening to Work of Fiction. Hope you all have a very happy holidays. We'll be back in January with more episodes. But in the meantime, check us out at workoffiction.fm. And as always, don't forget to like and subscribe. Company Street Movie.